Good afternoon. It's always a joy and immense pleasure and honor to dig into the Word of God, which is fact, absolutely true and not fiction, and to share God's Word to the church. And, and my prayer, as always, is that our hearts would be in tune to hear Him speak today. And we would strive, each of us, to pay attention. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the prayers of Paul. Uh, and, and in continuation with that theme, I'd like you all to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. As a church, we've been talking about prayer. How do we pray ceaselessly? Um, how do we approach God? And, and Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21 talks about how prayer prays, uh, Paul prays, this prayer for spiritual strength for us. This is what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, O Lord God, we come before you, O Lord, pleading that this morning as we look into your word that you would open our hearts, that our hearts, that the soil would be prepared to hear the seeds of truth, and we pray that you protect us from the evil one who would love to snatch them away. We pray, O oh Father, that your words and your words alone are uttered this afternoon and that we, O oh Father, would pursue you with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. For we pray this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. So the first thing I want to observe is this. Who's the writer of Ephesians? Paul. And when you read the book, and when you read this letter of Ephesians, you start seeing a pattern here of how Paul sees himself in light of God. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And, and, and in Ephesians, in, in chapter 3, he goes to say, God has made me a minister of the gospel, though I am the very least of all the saints. This is what I want to bring up. When Paul is confronted with God, his complete adoration is for God. He understands that they are so far apart that he is the least of all sinners and God has yet chosen him to be a minister of the gospel. It is God's will that always come to fruition. I'm reminded of <clears throat> King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, verses um, 34 to 37, if you, if you remember the story of 
um, Nebuchadnezzar <coughs> conquered Jerusalem. Uh, there's, there's a scene where he, he walks out of the balcony and he says, whoa, this is the great kingdom of Babylon. And with pride he exalts himself. And there's a dream he has, and the, and the long story short is God says, listen, I am going to humble you, take the kingdom away from you. And he becomes like an animal of the field, an oxen. He, he's in there, on the, you know, just thrown away, walking around desolate. And in seven years, and his time comes to pass, this is his recognition. And I want us to listen to this. This is the king of the great empire, Babylon. Daniel 4, verses 34 to 37. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, and you can see God gives him, once he recognizes who God is and has this testimony, his kingdom is given back to him in greater glory. And in verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. We have to understand who it is we come before. We have to understand the glory of God. We've got to comprehend that there's a vast difference between who you are and who God is. And that's why in, in, in Ephesians 4, uh, 3, you see right away that Paul, what does he say? For this reason, I bow my knees. When was the last time any of us bowed our knees in prayer? When was the last time out of reverence, out of complete, utter dependence on God, did we bow our knees in complete submission before who it is we come before? And he goes on to say, I bow my knees to God from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Whether good or rebellious, Every family in heaven and earth is named. Now, here's, here's a, a, a thought. In the ancient Near East, naming something amounted to bringing it into existence or giving it identity and exercising authority over it. We see this in the Garden of Eden when God had given Adam the opportunity to name the animals. Since all creation derives its name from the Father, He is both its source and its ruler. Know who it is you come before. Yes, he is our father. Yes, he has shown us much love. However, he is the God of the universe who created all things in heaven and on earth. So approach him with reverence and approach him 
with that understanding. You know, Robert uh, Murray has mentioned this. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. And Paul goes on to say, for this reason I bow my knees. And you've got to ask your question, okay, you know, for what reason? For what reason? And we've got to look at the context. To find out what it is, we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12. <clears throat> and here's the, the beautiful story. He says, I am a minister of this mystery, which is the gospel of Christ. But what is the mystery? He talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12, this truth. Five truths that we need to be aware of as Gentiles. What does he say? You've been separated from Christ. Christos, the Messiah. You've been separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, post the cross, post redemption, we forget that. See, the, the, the Israelites, at least they were God's chosen people. It is through the Jews we get the word of God. It is through the Jews that the Messiah came through. And we Gentiles were far away, far removed. And here Paul says, listen, that was your state. We had nothing but condemnation. And judgment was all we had. And in Daniel 5, 27, I remember again where King Belshazzar, who's the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar that we, we went through, he, again, in arrogance and pride, he had a feast with 10,000 of his generals and officers. And in that feast, he said, hey, bring the goblets that were utilized in the temple of God and let's drink out of it and let's feast and enjoy. And they started thanking the God of gold and silver. And then out of... Nowhere, immediately a hand comes up and writes on the wall four words. And King Belshazzar, frightened, the only person who could interpret was Daniel, gets him and he interprets it. But I want to focus on one of those four words, which was tekel, which says, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. It struck a chord in my heart when I heard that. Imagine, this is the truth, we stand before God without Christ. This is the response to each and every human being who is without Christ. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Terrifying terrifying what is the gospel what does Romans 3.23 says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God there is no not one who is right we all as sinners have and had judgment and condemnation upon us but it's because of the blood of Christ 
that we are now free. And this is the mystery. This is the beautiful mystery that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4. He says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it now has been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Praise God. Praise God. That's the mystery. In the past, the Gentiles had no hope. But now the mystery has been revealed that the Gentiles do have hope. We are fellow heirs, partakers of the promise. And it's a joy. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the blood that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold. And Paul goes on to say that this body, both Gentile and Jew, God has created. And the main purpose is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, this is Paul's goal to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. It is for this reason, he bows his knee, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That as the the church grows, both with Jews and Gentiles, as the church praises and preaches the gospel, as the church serves, as the church is the salt and the light of the world, so is the manifold, the many folds, the variety of color of God's wisdom displayed. When the angelic beings even look down, they stand praising God for the wonderful work that he has wrought. The church, it is through the church, this community, that the wisdom of God is displayed. Can you imagine that? Us together. And he says in verse 16 to 17, he goes on to say, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, Paul calls out to God, bowing his knees, crying out, grant them strength through the Holy Spirit that, where dwells in our inner being. Our inner being is the place of influence. It is also a place of spiritual feebleness. He prays calling out to God that God would strengthen us through His Spirit. But what's the resource? What's the resource? His riches in glory. Now, is there a limit to God's riches? Yes or no? No. It's immeasurable. So think of this, picture this. You have the Spirit of God residing in you, dwelling within you, in your inner being that is connected 
to immense power, immense riches of his glory. And Paul prays to God that he would strengthen us, that that would be unleashed in our lives. And he says you are grounded and founded in love. See, love is not something we add to our Christian life as time goes on. Love is the root and the foundation of Christian life. See, Paul uses two contrasting spheres to illustrate the importance of a right start. The world of a biologist and the world of a builder. You see, a plant bulb grows and a building grows, but they grow in different ways. They have one thing in common. They both must have the right start. Love is the soil in which believers are rooted and will grow. The foundation upon which they are built. See, if our service to God lacks love, it is like, in 1 Corinthians, sounding like brass and tinkling cymbal. It doesn't do good. If our Christian lives are not rooted in love, they will wither and fade. Love, the soil of the soul, provides the nutrients necessary to sustain fragrant and fruitful Christian lives. And he says, just as you have to be rooted in love, you have to be grounded in love. And this word grounded is the same word that Jesus used. If you remember the parable of the wise and foolish builder, the man who built his home on the rock, Jesus said, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And Paul's prayer as should be ours as well, is that we would pray for spiritual strength. To do what? To comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of what? The love of Christ. The very foundation that you're set on is so immense in its dimensions that he prays that God would give us strength through his spirit to comprehend that. And it doesn't end there. He says this, with all the saints. With all the saints. See, it is only us, only us, the church, that has been given the beauty and rich delight of comprehending the immeasurable, all-surpassing knowledge of the love of Christ. Not the angels, not the demons, not the unbelievers, just the church, just us. To be able to explore the multifaceted dimensions of the love of Christ requires the church to come together to unravel. You cannot do this alone, Christian. It requires each of us. So as we come for the meetings, as we pray together, as we share in the remembrance service, as we study the Bible together, you know, it was quite uh, uplifting and encouraging to see on, on Friday quite a larger number of us here on the meeting. And it was awesome to see as we as groups took a passage and, you know, we came up with observations, each of us in the groups, to give us a better holistic picture of the passage. You see, it takes the body of Christ. It takes the body of Christ to in any way comprehend the surpassing knowledge of the love of Christ. 
You cannot do this alone. You cannot do this alone. It takes a community of redeemed image bearers, redeemed image bearers of God to be strengthened by the Spirit of God to comprehend the length, the breadth, height, and depth of the love of Christ. You know, there's a movie called uh, The Guardians of the Galaxy, for those of you who watched it, all you movie buffs out there, where there's this powerful object called the Infinity Stone. And to be able to handle this Infinity Stone at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, it took four people to unite and hold it to contain and comprehend its power. In a similar way, it takes the community of believers to come together to comprehend the surpassing knowledge of the love of Christ. You cannot do it alone. You cannot do it alone. And Paul goes on to say, and this is amazing, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That you may be filled with the fullness of God that Christ may dwell in your hearts and you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, the implication of Paul's prayer here is this, that the more the Spirit empowers our lives, the greater will be the transformation through God's Spirit. The greater is the transformation into the likeness of Christ. The more the Spirit of God works in our lives, the greater the transformation to be more Christ-like. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13? It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is the power through the Holy Spirit that is able to flow through your inner being to change the least of all the least sinners to be ministers of the gospel to the Gentiles, to change the heart of one who persecuted Jesus to one who praises Jesus. That's the story of Paul and the story that ought to be for each one of us, that the Spirit works in our hearts. And through that reason, we bow our knees before God the Father, through whom all and every families in heaven and earth are named, that he would strengthen us with power through the Holy Spirit. And for what reason? That we would be able to comprehend the love of God and that in doing so, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed. And it's wonderful that when Paul ends this prayer, in verse 20, he says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, now wait here, it's not just abundantly, it's not just more abundantly, far more abundantly. Hold that thought, okay? Then all that we ask or think, far more abundantly than what you even ask or even can comprehend, God is able to do. According to the power at work within us, according to the power that's in work, do you get it? Do you believe God's word? God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask for or think. And he says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.
our prayer as a church is that we bow our knees before God, praying earnestly, knowing who it is we come before, pleading that the Spirit of God dwells within us in our inner being. God, strengthen us that we as a church can come together and comprehend your love, which is the foundation on which we stand and which we are grounded in. And that we as a church would be able to display for the whole world around us the manifold wisdom of God. And, you know, we, we've spent, you know, a great deal of time as a church covering the topic of prayer in our Wednesday meetings, in our Friday meetings, in our Sunday so, you know, sermons, and it's been like a theme for a month. However, as we continue to pray ceaselessly and tackle this topic of prayer, I think it is fundamentally important for us to tackle the fact that there are many times when we pray, there are many times when we pray that we don't feel our prayers going past the ceiling. When you pray to God, you ask, is God hearing? And I want to cover six reasons why. Six reasons what can cause hindrances to our prayer. It's vital for us to know. You can pray as ceasingly as you want, but you've got to understand that there are things you are doing or can be doing that hinders your prayer. The first one is selfish motives. Many times, if not quite often, we place our motives over that of God's. We come into His presence with our petition not aligned to His will. You see, what does John say in 1 John 5 verse 14? And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. It's confidence. I'm not doubting it. I'm confident that if I ask anything according to His will, He hears it. I'm not saying it. God is saying it. You know, E. Stanley Jones said this, Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. See, James 4 verse 3 says this, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. If you are asking God selfishly to spend things on your passion, you are not asking according to His will. See, there's a story of a man named Ev uh, Ivan who endures all the horrors of a Soviet prison camp. It's not this Ivan here. <laughs> One day he's praying with his eyes closed when a fellow prisoner notices him and says with ridicule, prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. Opening his eyes, Ivan answers, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. See, our first hindrance to our prayer is our intentions or motives. We should only ask for things that are consistent with the nature and character of God. Selfish motives. Secondly, no interest in Scripture. 
See, if we ever think that God is going to hear our prayers when we have absolutely no interest in his word, when we fall asleep when someone reads scripture or when, sh- when someone shares the word of God, you've got it wrong. Where do we encounter God? In his word. Where do you hear God speak audibly and clearly? In his word. How has he revealed the gospel to us in his word and through his word? How would you feel if someone put you in a room and just talked with you on and off every day, never gave you the opportunity to speak? Is that even a relationship? It's like having a one-sided conversation every day. And let alone the God and creator of the universe we would treat this way. You know, Solomon, he goes so far to suggest that prayers made from such a hardened heart are an abomination to God. In Proverbs 28, verse 9, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. It is reviling, disgusting, perverse, evil, obscene to God. If you wake up every day and pray a prayer and don't even want to hear from God, That prayer is an abomination to God. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? When we read the words of Scripture, we ask and encourage God to speak to us. He provides the understanding. He provides us with how it is we we pray. That's why when we read Ephesians, we see Paul and see a manner of how we pray and what we should pray for and what our purpose here is as a church. You cannot know how to pray. You cannot know what to pray. You cannot know God's heart if you don't read his word. And so if you feel your prayers are not going past the ceiling, inspect. Are you ones who pray for selfish reasons? Are you one who has no interest in his word? Third, unforgiveness. The Christian has been forgiven for the greatest of offenses. He has been forgiven for knowingly, purposefully and unrepentantly transgressing the law of God. And yet, many a times, we are too slow to forgive. Even the biggest sins committed against us are nothing compared to how we sinned against God. God does not honor an attitude like that where we are not willing to forgive those who have offended us what does mark 11 and 25 what does jesus say and whenever whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone that's the third reason And I hope you're taking notes and I pray the Spirit of God is working in your heart because as I wrestle with these things, there are so many areas I need to work on. Family disunity is the fourth one. It is in God's perfect will that families live together in peace and harmony. Of course, it is impossible for us to be in that state forever while in such an imperfect environment and state, and we went through that during our our worship service as well, it is foremost the responsibility of the father as the head of the household to ensure there is not discord within the family. 
as a husband, as a father. It lies on our shoulders, men. What is the Apostle Peter, a married man himself, exhorted husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way, being sensitive to their needs, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's not easy. I can testify to that. It is not easy. And for that, I require your prayers. But as men, brothers, we are commanded. It is as head, as, as we are heads of our home, that we strive. So I'm not saying we're going to make it, but strive. Strive. Showing honor to your wife as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life that our prayers may not be hindered. See, the fifth one is unconfessed sin. You see, just as unforgiveness can hinder our prayers, so can sin in our lives that we have refused to confess before God. What does Psalm 66 verses 18 say? If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened says the psalmist, before we conclude that God has simply not heard our prayers or that it is not his will to give us what we ask, we need to examine our hearts to see if there is unconfessed sin, unrepentant hearts that we have. And the sixth one is doubt. God wants us to have confidence, brothers and sisters, in his ability and willingness to provide what is necessary for us to attain to godliness. He wants us to believe that he can and will do what he says. Thus, when we doubt, when we ask expecting rejection, and when we ask almost hoping for rejection, we will hinder our prayers. What does James say in, in, in chapter 1, verses 5 to 7? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as we pray for spiritual strength that God would give us as individuals, as a community, the ability to, to comprehend the love of Christ and the variety of dimensions I pray that we would examine our lives. That parallelly as we get on our knees praying, that we would ask ourselves, do I pray selfishly? Do I, don't, don't I want to hear God's word? See, it's not even asking you to study God's word or, or memorize scripture, to hear his word. Can I, can I not even read his word and I find it and I want to go into his presence? Do you have an unforgiving attitude? Do you have unconfessed sin? Is there family disunity? And is there doubt as you approach God? Brothers and sisters, it's a community. If we want our prayers to be effective, there is a call for a right living in our lives. And it's not easy. It is not easy. But when I think of Paul, 
as he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask for, think or think according to the power at work within us. Our God can do mighty things. But let there be an interest in living a right life so that our prayers would not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, we thank you for the beauty that we see in scriptures of this mystery that you have shared with us that we can be fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. We Gentiles, we had no hope. We had no God. We were not part of a chosen people like Israel was. But now, through Christ Jesus, we are. And we thank you so much, O Lord God, because as we come before you, we come before the creator of this universe who is holy beyond our comprehension. And as we as a community prayed this morning, what is man that you are mindful of him? We are nothing. Each one of us had gone our own way, yet you have shown us much love and grace. And it is on this love that we stand, it is on this love that we are rooted and grounded. And we pray this afternoon that as a community, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us spiritual strength to comprehend this love that is so rich, so vast, that in comprehending it, that our lives would change and we would become more like Christ to the point where the fullness of God would dwell. Father, we thank you so much for this privilege you've given us. And we pray as a community, we plead with you, Lord, forgive us if we have sinned against each other. Forgive us if we have not done what you have called us to do. Forgive us as husbands and fathers if we have not lived lives pleasing to you, not honoring the wives that you've given us. Forgive us if we have doubted in prayer. Forgive us if we've had no interest in your word. Forgive us for any unconfessed sin in our lives. We pray that as we get into your word, you would reveal more to us. Thank you, O oh Lord, for we pray this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name.